Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. We're starting to pick up new listeners each episode. We're really grateful for that. Grateful to everyone that's dropped a line or given us a rating on iTunes. Please keep it up by all means. Hunter, we are also really pleased and surprised to get uh, a really, really fantastic reaction to episode six, the episode on Decreutzen. Indeed. Uh, especially the really supportive and enthusiastic responses from drummer Eric Tunison and vocalist Dan Kabinsky. It's a high watermark for me. Yeah. I give it, given how much those guys have, have supplemented my life with, with joy and awe um, that we could give anything back to them is a, is a humbling, humbling thing. Yeah. We've had some really, um, really nice personal correspondences with those guys since we released the episode hopefully have an ongoing dialogue and, and hopefully we can uh, get together uh, someday and have beers with them and ask them how they got together. How'd you boys get together? <laughs> if you've seen the Metallomania <laughs> documentary, you'll know what we're talking about. And if you haven't, please do. Yeah. We're also starting to get some questions about the intro collage. We don't want to reveal the bands and songs that it's comprised of, at least not, you know, just yet. But if you want to send us your guesses, we'll happily acknowledge when anyone has guessed a segment correctly. We can tell you it's five pieces from five different bands. So please do write us through the contact us link on our website, radicalresearch.org, or write us directly through our Facebook page or at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so tonight we are going to be dissecting the fifth full-length album by England's uh, My Dying Bride, one of the Peaceville Three, a foundational doom metal band from the 90s. Um, this is a contentious record. It's definitely um, a stretch for them. I don't know if this is the appropriate time to talk about the Peaceful Three or not, but we are referring to the uh, trifecta of Paradise Lost, My Dying Bride, and Anathema. Yep. Compared to those bands, My Dying Bride evolved at a much more patient pace, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think they have sort of one what we can call quote unquote experimental album for lack right. of a word versus, you know, Anathema just kept evolving and paradise lost, you know, they definitely went through a period of kind of uh, stretching their sound to, to the limits before they sort of backpedaled. You think about those bands, evolutionary arcs, like you think about six years between Gothic and one second and six years between serenades and judgment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, my dying bride unfurled much more slowly. They uh, they did they did. Although you know you got to give them credit, and really the other two in the Peaceville three, you got to you got to give all three of them credit for. You know they they started maybe a bit primitive for sure, but they quickly all three latched onto something really kind of eclectic and different and ornate and uh, exotic. Yeah, elegant too, yeah. Yeah, and, and mixed in with this like sort of like blood-curdling death, you know, really overwhelming doom, suffocating doom. Yeah, they just, uh, they all three put a really cool artistic twist on death metal. And, and of course, they all had doom elements and that's why they're all kind of compared. You know, they're, yeah, all, they, they're all English. They do. They all sort of like spring from the same genus, but they all have some sort of intrinsic quality anybody who's familiar with those bands knows this i mean like they all sort of you know spin in similar orbits but they all have their own unique spin on death doom and they all evolved in in different way different in super compelling ways well if you could put the three in order of your preference and and we let's just say that we we really love all three of these bands okay, okay. but 
if you could go in order of like the one you treasure the most and then number three, the one that maybe, you know, you, you don't hold up as high as the others. Could you do that? Cause I, I can, I, I've got an order there for the three. Yeah, I can do it. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to go anathema paradise lost in my dying bride. Oh, wow. See now I know you really well. I know your musical tastes extremely well and, and we agree so much of the time. I thought we'd agree on this one too, but I guess not. <laughs> anathema also number one for me. Yes. Um, my Dying Bride is a, a easy number two for me. There's something about Paradise Lost where even on like an album like Draconian Times, I don't like that album as much as most people. My favorite- Well, par- including me. My favorite Paradise Lost song is on that, Forever Failure. But for the most part, I think they kind of petered out a little too quick. Um, saying that, we both love Host. You know, we're huge fans of Host. I was about to say, per capita, um, I love more Paradise Lost records than I do my Dying Bride records. Well, yeah, because they're. Because yeah. I mean, I'm really, really into uh, One Second, Host, and and Believe in Nothing, and I and I love um, Draconian Times quite a bit m- more than you. Yeah, I think so. And we've talked about this, and I love Icon. Yeah. Uh, God, the and the first two. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, not trying I'm, to cut them down. I, I, there's oh, a, no, no, no. Like no. I, th- I think Icon is just a few songs too long. Um, Shades of God had a production that I don't think it did a lot of justice. I think it's Kids a of God's trans- transitional. Yeah, it's very dry, uh, but it's great songs on it. But anyway, I mean, they're all three great. And I mean, yeah. come on, Gothic and Lost Paradise, those are amazing. What was your entry into My Dying Bride then? What was, what was your- uh, Turn Loose the Swans. Oh, okay. I, I knew the name from, from Maniacs. Um, from, I think Don Kay actually reviewed As the Flower Withers, but it, was, it wasn't a very um, seductive review. Mm. And, you know, there's so much stuff back then. So I, I kind of deferred. And then Eula, who was also way, who Eula actually is responsible for getting me into Anathema too, wrote, wrote a very um, compelling review of uh, Turn Loose the Swans. Yep. And that was, a, was an important record for me in the sense that, like, it showed me um, that you could be heavy in, in sort of divergent ways and dark too. And you could be, you could be heavy without being aggressive. It was a, an important moment where I realized like all the different kind of dimensions of, of heavy metal. Um, that's great. Yeah, these that's guys awesome. were into like, you know, Dead Can Dance and it, I don't know, it, it opened up some, some other doors for me. Still probably my favorite, my Dying Bride record. Oh, really? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I got into them through Symphonaire and Furnace, the EP. It's got a much longer title, but I'll just call it Symphonaire. <laughs> And it's just, that was just through reading Metal Forces religiously and kind of knowing about what was happening in England. You know, I was reading about this band Paradise Lost and picked up the first album. And so I was kind of on it, you know, pretty early, but, you know, not demo early, but early enough and um, found that EP. And it, it was, yeah, like, like you, it really opened me up to kind of a new way of being heavy. Certainly, I was ingesting a lot of death metal at that time, liking a lot of it, hating probably even more of it, uh, you know, already it was, it was just becoming this, this genre that was just kind of like cannibalizing itself. And then my dying bride comes along and I want to talk about paradise lost here too, but this is not that show. So we'll do that another time. But you know, for me, yeah, that, I don't think we can overstate how special the early, my dying bride stuff is. Oh That's God. I, I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how ornate it was yeah. yet primitive. I couldn't believe how eclectic it was yet. Just so from the fucking gut, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and we should probably mention too, because you and I share an opinion on this. Aaron Stainthorpe is, one of the 
the most special and greatest death metal vocalist ever. Top five easily. Oh, easily. The thing with him is of all the My Dying Bride albums that I like, he doesn't do a lot of heavy vocal on no. them. And that and that's always been an issue for me. I mean, there's a lot of later to My Dying Bride that he does. I'm not totally against their later stuff. It just never felt fresh to me. And I think we'll get to that a little later as we go through this album. But the stuff he did early on, and then it just it's No, it's like it's it's like Shakespearean death metal vocals. Because he was delivering lyrics that were certainly yeah, experience. There's just this yeah. this this rarefied tone to his his vocal back then, like an like a like an arrogance, and I mean that in the best possible way. Absolutely, an arrogance, uh, a sophistication almost. Right. And, and, and we're right. talking about some really wretched sounding vocals, but this was the character he was really kind of playing. But there's also there's also something about Aaron, and this is why this is why he's one of my favorites because I think all my favorites do this for me, like a Lori Bravo of Nuclear Death, mm-hmm. for instance. Like he was believable. Oh no no, super convincing. It yeah, didn't absolutely. sound like phony, you yeah. know, scary guy. You know, the yeah. kind of shit that people do call Cookie Monster, and some of them with good reason. You know, and Aaron was something else. Aaron just took you way way deeper. He. It was basically he he turned death metal vocals into an art. So I think I think for what he did back in the early nineties, that was another reason I latched onto him because he was so amazing. Yeah, I mean, there were so many anonymous death metal vocalists too. I mean, it, you know, it was a, a template. And he elevated it to an art form. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. This is a band we'll talk about more probably in a future episode, maybe dedicate one to them, but uh Maudlin of the Well the American band, they were the only band that had vocals that kind of seemed to kind of ape Aaron's vocal style. And, but they did it really well. They, it's almost like you get an auxiliary Aaron early, my dying bride with, when you listen to that Maudlin of the well stuff. But again, you're, you're talking about a band that, um, that, that pursued a very, very sophisticated and very, very eclectic um, approach to death metal. For sure. But I, th- I think the difference between even early, early My Dying Bride and even early, early Maudlin of the Well is they still had that thread of just total disgusting savagery. Anyway, enough about that. That was my entry into the band and I followed them all the way up to the album in question, 34.788% dot, 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 complete. After that, I think we, you and I both fall off a little bit. We'll talk about that as we, as we, we go. do. I pick up for one album uh, subsequently, but. Yeah, I think the album title needs to be addressed. This was uh, a derived from a dream that guitarist Calvin Robert Shaw had, where he was told the human race had a limited lifespan on earth. He was told that 34.788% had already expired. Which is good news for us. Is that an optimistic percentage? I mean, for us. I mean, I would think we're closer to like 94.78% yeah. at this point. But that's just me. Donald, Tr- Donald Trump's our president. Yeah, <laughs> he jacked we're, it up to like nine point seven eight eight percent. Yeah, now we're we're exhausting all of our resources, and we elected a complete moron. And perhaps um, the, the the biggest trade war is upon us. So we'll we'll see how that. Pl- uh well, yeah, there were some tariffs that were uh, announced today. So this is the final episode of Radical Research. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it's been great, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. So this is this album comes. After all this other stuff we've talked about, Turn Loose the Swans, their second album, As the Flower Withers, their, their debut full length, and the Symphonary EP I mentioned earlier. Um, they, they then, after Turn Loose the Swans, they dropped the heavy vocal, and I think some other aspects. Uh, we won't dwell on those too much, but they had two albums, one of them called The Angel in the Dark River, 
which is I think we both a very accomplished that. album. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I love that album. And like Gods of the Sun, which kind of gets is in the shadows a little bit of Angel in the Dark River, simply because it's kind of a, a lateral step. It is, it is, and, it, and like honestly, I, I like it more now than I ever did, but it always left me a bit cold. And it really yeah. is just, it's just kind of a pale facsimile of Angel. I agree with that. I come and go with it. If I haven't listened to it for a while and I haven't listened to Angel for a while, it works really well. I mean, it's you know, the guitar tone, which is something this band always was masterful with. Always. Uh, it was fa- And fantastic. great drumming. Which is yeah, a, and great drumming. Rick, Rick Maya was anomaly involved. in doom metal. <laughs> yeah, Rick, Rick Maya was great. Um, yeah, yeah, was fantastic. He was, okay, so, so the core of My Dying Bride is Rick, the drummer, plus Aaron vocalist, Calvin and Andrew on guitar, and Aid, uh, A-D-E, on bass. They usually went by the first name, so we'll continue that for the rest of this podcast. But Rick dropped out for the fifth album, and we get 34.788% complete. Uh, they brought in a drummer from a band called Dominion. His name was Bill. Hello, Bill. Hey, Bill. How you doing out there? Um, you, did a, you did a good job, Bill, by the way. Bill, Bill did a fantastic job. What were your thoughts on this album when you first heard it? Well, so, you know, I read reviews of it before. Um, and there was all this kind of negative discursive energy around it. Oh, they've gone electronic. They've abandoned their roots. And I'm like, honestly, abandoning roots, never um, a prohibitive factor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm all about evolution. Yeah. And I was thinking this was going to be a cold lake moment, right? Mm-hmm. I get it. And I'm like shocked at how heavy it is yeah. uh, and how great it is. Actually, you know, there's one elephant in the room uh, that we'll address later, but I, I thought it was a fantastic. In fact, I thought it was much more exciting than like God's the sun. Um, and oh, I would yeah. say, within, yeah, within a, a few months, it was in you know my top three, my dying bride records. Yeah. It, it is still there. Yeah. Uh, I pretty much had the same thought. I don't, I don't know that I had read too much about it before I got it. I might've gotten some advance or something. You probably had a, yeah, you had an inside track. Yeah. But, but I just know that I loved it and um, it was different. It was, it felt uh, like a hardly the lateral step of like gods of the sun. It felt like a great leap forward. Yeah, absolutely. Ideas. It felt quite modern. That's something I think we'll talk about some too, but um you know, versus the sort of like medieval dungeon Shakespeare sort of you yeah. know, area that they were working in before. It felt um, Scandinavian to me. But, but, but immediately it seemed like people were so split on this album. Like it was just like, you know, half of the people thought it was just, you know, blasphemous sacrilege yeah. that they would do this. Other people like, like yourself and myself, you know, really embraced it. I mean, here's the thing about this album that for me, it's not like the great, departure or evolutionary leap of like an angel rat or into the pandemonium or a grand declaration of war. It's not one of those, but it's not a shameful. I'm glad you mentioned grand declaration because I want to get into that in a bit. Sure. Yeah. And it's not a shameful failure like a St. Anger or even a misstep like Cold Lake. I mean, I, I can defend a few rips on Cold Lake. It's not like a hundred percent terrible, but, but it's not that either. You know, it's not horrible. It's certainly not a St. Anger, which is possibly the worst metal album ever recorded by a once great band. Lulu. Well, I, <laughs> just when you thought it couldn't get worse, they bring in, they bring in Lou Reed, who is overrated and terrible and make a worse album. So anyhow, um, so that's where, that's where we're at with this. Okay, so the opening track on this album, the 12-minute monster called The Whore, the Cook, and the Mother. Again, um, a very, very um, heavy introduction to the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always a band that... 
had like really, really large, uh, ambitious arrangements. So a 12 minute song is not out of the ordinary for my dying bride. Not really. If you think about Sear Me, the, the second Sear Me from right. uh, Turn Loose the Swans, they open, they open Turn Loose the Swans with a seven and a half lament, you know, that's has more to do with Dead Can Dance than anything metal. Absolutely. But this, al- but this album, you know, it, it starts heavy and then it, um, it, it detours um, into all these, you know, these subtle textured moments. It's a really fitting, I mean, it kind of encapsulates a lot of the record in this one song. And I, I just think it's a great entryway into the, um, all the different dimensions of this record. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you know what's interesting about it? There's a parallel very much to the opening of Angel in the Dark River because they yes. also open that with a 12-minute song. And that 12-minute song on Angel in the Dark River, The Cry of Mankind, also has a very long break in the middle. Yes. Yeah. So this isn't the first time they were doing this. Um, but, you know, I think, I think the break in the middle signals that, oh, it this is going to be a little weird. Feels differently, yes. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were always daring. The middle part, man, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite parts in the album. And it comes early and it's, God, it's like... Do you know what it's based on? It's four and a half minutes long. I, I kind of do. If you look in the booklet of the CD, uh, there is a page that has some questions on it. Right. And it's got like a sort of a female devil character. I'm going to post that when we post this episode so people can see it's, it. It's based on the simulant interview from Blade Runner. That's what I've read. That's what I've heard. So there's, this que- there's these questions. And Aaron, the singer, is an- answering them just in, you know, as, as Aaron Stainthorpe, the vocalist of My Dying Bride. So we get to learn that, you know, he's got two cats. Uh, we get to learn about um, how tall his mother is. <laughs> and bef- yeah, before I put that all together, I was like, when he said 5'4", I was like, oh, he's talking about a time signature. <laughs> um, nope. Mother's height. Yeah, yeah, but it's and, and there's a female asking the questions in Cantonese, I guess. Yes. Uh, and we get like a heart rate monitor beeping in the background. We get some other really weird flits of random chatter and just strange sounds. I mean, it's it's really awesome. I mean, it's this ambient new age kind of break. Um, man, I love it. Oh, there's also that part of, like there's a tape recorder rewinding or fast forwarding. Yes. You know. Really, really. No, it's a, it's very uh, you know accomplished sound collage. It, it is, and, and then very, when they, very evocative, but in a completely ambiguous way. Right, and then when they crash back into the metal, yes. you know, and, and that's always the trick with metal is like just give it a break, come 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 away from it for a while, and then bring it back. I mean, it's it's a device that's been used well or overused. Yeah. Um, Cliched cliched but this works really well and it's heavy as hell when it comes back in and um yeah great song why don't we play a bit of it let's do that let's listen to i uh i extracted a bit of the middle part since i love that so much but i wanted everybody to hear that as well as the uh when we get you know when we crash back into the metal so here we go this is the whore the cook and the mother or if you're from brooklyn the whore the cook and the mother Yeah. 
Yeah, so despite some of the uh, parallels we noted to the second Sear Me and um, Cry of Mankind, this is still obviously going to be a different trip for My Dying Bride fans. And yeah, this we're in different, different territory. Altogether. Very divisive opening song. The, the second song... And I like just uh, the laying the gauntlet down. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, exactly. And we get deeper. Uh, the second song is called The Stance of Evander Sinkyu. Opens with an insanely heavy guitar riff, but you can almost hear them pretty shortly breaking the chains of like Gods of the Sun that yes. they kind of cornered themselves into. And, and that's what I like about this album or partly, part, partly what I like about the album is that, you know, a lot of bands will corner themselves and then sort of revert and they just kind of cornered themselves and blasted off, you know, broke that wall and went further. Um, because this song then gives you like these orchestral moments um, some of the really weird moaning. I love there. the keyboard work on this album. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's credited to some guy that had been in uh, Academy studios for various different Peaceville bands and, and right. others. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but yeah, there's, there's some really great synth and, and keyboard work on this, on this album. Yeah. Aaron's weird moaning. And then you get back to that heavy pinch harmonic riff. We should probably talk about pinch harmonics right now. They're, I mean, they're an important part of, of death metal. Very important part of all three of these bands' histories. The Peaceville Three, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's a it's a, a staple device of all three, especially yeah. like uh, Gothic. Gothic's one of the like the first memories I have of hearing a pinch harmonic. Actually, yeah, one band I think uses them way too much, and maybe it's just because I'm I'm not a fan of this band. I respect them, but Immolation uses them way too much. Oh, like, I thought you were going to say Black Label Society. I don't ever want to say Black Label Society. <laughs> <laughs> Not on this show, my friend. Uh, but you could say that about Zach Wilde, certainly. <laughs> the long, blonde-haired elephant in the room. <laughs> yes. Prettiest elephant you've ever seen playing pinch harmonic. The only good thing Zach Wilde's ever done was uh, Aquatine Hunger Force. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, even the first Ozzy album he's on him, that's that's the that's the first Ozzy album where I'm like, mm, I don't know yeah. about this. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, we mentioned earlier that Aaron's lyrics were always really great. Um, I, I love these in Evander Sinkyu. I don't know who Evander Sinkyu is, or if I'm saying that correctly. Do you have any insight into that? I do not. So maybe just a made up character for this song, but um, you know, like these kind of lyrics like he was a tall man he was a poor man yeah he was a tall man pale skin and broken back and no one knew him though he was genius i mean there's a little bit of a christ thing there right um you see like a kafka kind of a char tragic character too yeah okay there you go uh yeah but but they're very visual lyrics they you know, are I mean, you, you, know, you they you really like get sucked into this world 
Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, he was always great at that. I think he, this is Aaron, for me, this is almost Aaron's best album because his vocals are really great. I mean, granted, we don't get any death metal vocals, but he's still just so amazing on this vocally. I'm glad you said that because like, I, I completely agree with you. And he has more, he has more room to stretch out on this album than I think he's ever had. He's, he's one of these vocalists. He's, he's limited technically, but, but I'm thinking of someone like Kevin Moore who recognizes his limitations and does the absolute most with them. Oh, I mean, right, you know, right, there's right. nobody like Aaron. There's nobody like Kevin Moore in terms of right. what he did in OSI and chroma key. Same thing with Aaron. I, that's a great point, man. Um, but the Christ thing, I, I, I read that into the song so much because there's these other lyrics, like he lived alone, though many voices spoke, he found peace in his own little world. Mm. So they beat him to his end. He, mm. Yeah, it's but then he lays for God, and I don't know if that qualifies. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really interesting, um, and it and I just love, of course, you know, the, the best lyrics, of course, are the ones you can just interpret a hundred different ways. Sure. Yeah, and good lyrics are a rare thing in metal. Like really, really great lyrics. Oh yeah, and and I think I think it's fair to say I don't think it'd be a stretch to say that my dying bride lyrics were great. Oh, absolutely. No, that's no yeah. question. Another part of this song that I like is the the bass guitar. It's got this really kind of soft, fuzzy tone. Mm. Um, maybe Peter Steelish uh, almost sounds like a synthesizer in spots. Right? And maybe it is because you know they definitely played a little bit with uh, recording and production and mixing on this album. Maybe more so than they had ever before. Uh, but I just really like the bass guitar tone throughout, especially on this song. Also in this song, Aaron has that heavily affected voice, uh, like that. I call it the telephone speaker voice. Right. Yep. He's, so this is 1998. I mean, is he co-opting something from the era? Because, you know, think about all the heavy, like sort of alt-rock bands who would use that similar vocal effect. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, this album is very much, I mean, it, in metal, it's very experimental. But just in the context of music and the late 90s, I mean, they're obviously listening to a lot of things outside of metal. And it's, it's, it's very much of its time, even though it doesn't feel dated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, you're, you're right on the money there. We're going to listen to a bit of an early part from the stance of Evander Sinku, and we can see it's pretty quick evolution uh, in just about a minute and a half, two minutes. Here we go. stately gothic keyboards they sound, yeah, they sound they, like cathedral spires to me and god the when they, the heavy parts are so heavy 
I know. Well, you know, My Dying Bride did heavy very well. I think all the Peaceville 3 did at some point in their, in their early evolution. But, uh, God, yeah, there's nothing heavier than My Dying Bride at its heaviest. They're really no. Um, you can you can look at neurosis or yob or who, whoever you want to talk about uh i i think my dying bride completely takes it uh even on this album and that's a, that's the thing about this album it didn't like you know they didn't get no, thin completely they mischaracterized they yeah. didn't abandon heaviness at all you want to talk about mischaracterization this is a good point to bring this up w- wikipedia man i adore wikipedia i think it's great i think it's it's a great model uh, as an electronic um encyclopedia basically but you know, you're going to get some, some stupid uh, contributions that haven't been caught yet or just, just some questionable things. And it, under musical style on this album on Wikipedia, here's what it says. The album demonstrated a foray into a more electronic style of music. Like, I, <laughs> dude, I mean, there's keyboards on it. But, right. And there's heroin chic, which we'll get to. But like, no, man, I don't, I don't know. that. That's just too generalized when, um, and wrong. When... Uh, Grand Declaration of War came out, same thing. And it was like, you know, Blood, Blood Sword and a Colder Sun. Mm-hmm. Right, the, right. Suddenly one song. electronic did. detour on it. It's like, oh, you know, Mayhem have abandoned their roots and they've gone electronic. <laughs> right. Same with this album. I hate that. I, dude, I mean, this, this goes back to Kiss. I mean, Dynasty. Right, Dynasty. We, it's a disco record. We both love that album. And I think yes. you do, right? Oh, I love that record. Yeah, and, but but it's always called the disco album. It's got one disco song on it. One, and that's not even like a disco song. It's a and disco exactly. drum. Exactly. It's got yeah. It's got a upbeat hi hat part. I, this characterization of an album for like one uh, one element, just stupid. And 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 it's just carrying on with this one. But well, and it it, it perpetuates the worst stereotypes about metal fans, and and their myopia. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, very true. Yeah. Very true. Uh, Whatever. The third song on this album is called uh, Der Überlebende. Der Überlebende. I don't know. You've you've got more German. Blood. I'm better than I'm better at German than anything. Yeah. I'm not very good at English either. But uh, Wagner. <laughs> der, der, der Überlebende. It translates to the survivor. I, man, to me, this song has some of their their like most moving and sweeping melancholy moments. I mean, for a band that's kind of characterized by that. The first few moments of this song are some of my favorite My Dying Bride moments. Mm. I mean, just some of the most you know, like poetic, elegant guitar work I can imagine. Yep. I just, I don't know. It, it sounds like rain. Pure beauty. I, I, I agree with you. I, I also think this is a good point to bring up the production because I think the production teases out what you're talking about. Yes. Um, and, and this was done by Mags, this guy, M-A-G-S. He was always called Mags, and he was usually recording from Academy Studio in uh, West Yorkshire. His real name is Robert Moguligan. Um, <laughs> so you can see why they probably just called him Mags. Right. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, but, you know, he, he, he did some stuff with uh, Anathema and Primordial, a lot of Peaceville staples as well. You know, great stuff. I, I, I've always admired his work. Uh, and I think kind of what you're talking about, Hunter, with the, the beauty of this song and, and the great moments, I think it's punctuated by or, or underscored by the production of Mags. Just the, you know, some, some great sonic highlights here. Also, I think at this point we should note that the band's, uh, this is the band's first album without violinist and keyboardist Martin Powell. I think I said earlier that Rick Maya was the one of the, the only original guy to really drop off. Martin Powell started with My Dying Bride as a, as a guest basically uh, and then became very quickly 
a very important part of the band on violin and keyboards. He was a, a crucial part of Turn Loose the Swans for me. Oh yeah, yeah, very much, and like the next two albums as well. He left for this. Uh, he left actually. He became a, a, I think, a member of Anathema in the, in the live. He was a, yeah, touring member of Anathema for touring a while. Method, uh, yeah, for Anathema, and then um, went on to Cradle of Filth for Cradle a while. Good paycheck, of course. There's no violin on this album, and the no. keyboards uh, are played by a guy named Keith Appleton. Uh, another guy who kind of like shows up on records that Mags has produced. He's credited on Cradle of Filth's Vampire as keyboardist uh, and some early Anathema stuff as, as a mixer, uh, even engineering on Paradise Lost Gothic. So anyway, yeah, the keyboards are out front on this one. The melodic guitar theme that pins the song down and also up front always reminded me a little bit of like Gods of the Sun. I mean, there's, there's definitely like a bit of a... Uh, Reminds me of Catatonia a bit too. Ah, okay. I, that Good call. I can see that now that you mentioned it. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of the song and the part we're going to listen to is the break or the bridge later in the song. Um, it's yet another new element on this album and kind of new for My Dying Bride in the sense that it's very major key sounding. I haven't tested that on a guitar very. or a keyboard yet, but just in the hearing, it's like positive and bright and incredibly beautiful. It's, and because of the juxtaposition of it, you know, within My Dying Bride, it's, it's really become my favorite moment in the song. Um, so this is uh, that part of Der Ubelavenda. I love that watery flangey guitar. Oh yeah, the, the wah. Yeah, the wah. You gotta love the, the new wah. thing. I, you know, it, it, like there is, a, um, it is hopeful and beautiful. There's like an uh, like an undercurrent of dread too. Kind of reminds me of um, Anathema Eternity a bit. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Obviously, they were. You know, they're kindred spirits. They're, you know, linked geographically, and I'm, you know, I'm sure they listened to that record. Yeah, and this is within but, uh, two years of that time. So sure. yeah, exactly. I, I actually remember hanging out with Calvin in New York in 97. I actually spent a little bit of time with those guys on the like, like gods of the sun tour. Cause I saw them three times really. And the only three times I ever saw them was on that tour. They just played around New York. I had just gotten to New York. Um, right. And, and I'm sitting down with Calvin and he seemed to be kind of um, a little bit miffed about anathema having a, a female singer mm. on serenades. Um, really? because he was like, he was like, oh, they're just copying paradise lost. And I, and I think there was like a bit of a, a bit of a friendly competition between all three of them at the time. I'm sure. And, and I don't know how they all feel about it now. I think it'd be interesting to know, but he seemed a little bit like anathema were like the Johnny come lately of the Peaceville three. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. we in paradise lost were here first, you know? <laughs> well, that's fine. And they were, but like anathema, like, if you take the female vocalist out of it, they, they had an entirely different approach to melody. 
than any yeah, of us. Uh, yeah, well, totally. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that on some show as well. But yeah, uh, yeah that that's completely true. And I, I just took it as like, oh, you know, I mean, when you're in a band, you, you know, your perspective is quite a bit different than just being a listener. And, sure. But other than that, dude, I got to say, he was he's an awesome guy. There was a picture of you and the band and Maniacs at one point, wasn't Actually, it? the last issue of Maniacs that I was in, I... I decided to go ahead and print that picture of me and the whole band that we had taken. That was actually outside of the relapse offices. And I wasn't at relapse at the time I was at metal maniacs, but I had left relapse to go to maniacs and we visited the relapse office because they were playing in Lancaster, which is where relapse was at the time. Really? So that was right outside that Amish office. Country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, that was, that was pretty cool. I got to like kind of take a band picture with them. So after the third song that we just listened to, we'll get into what we call the, at least what I kind of always think of as the urban trilogy. Yes. Heroin Chic, Apocalypse, Apocalypse Woman, and Bass Level Erotica. Yes. Um, th- like we had said before, Hunter, this album was no huge break with the basic My Dying Bride approach. It was still clearly My Dying Bride, same basic core, but at its heart, there was a huge difference also. And I think this urban trilogy, as I call it, represents sort of the greatest break from their past. I mean, We've said before, also before that Early My Dying Bride was coming from this place of like, you know, gothic sorrow and despair and depravity and debauchery and, you know, Rambaugh and, and Faust and, and, and um, you know, Dark Ages. And it just, it, it just came from this very old place. And, um, and here we have this like modern take on My Dying Bride. Um, yeah, especially with heroin chic. Yeah. What do you think about this? Is this the elephant in the room that you were talking about earlier? Or yeah, that- of course. Yeah, what what's your take on this song? Um, it, you know, I really don't know if it's sincere or ironic. Um, there's this like kind of like Irvine Welsh like depravity to it. It's it's very very urban. Um, it's very of the city, um, corporeal. Um, it's it's uh, it's base. It's not elevated in any way. Everything before has been like a walk through an epic poem. And yeah. this is like a walk through the London sewers. You know, and it's this cast of characters, you know, like junkies and misfits and you know, suicidal freaks. And it's an entirely different um, element than we find in any other My Dying Bride song. For sure. I mean, and it, I mean it's, it's jarring. I mean, I remember yeah. the first time, I mean, the first time I heard it, I almost didn't even know what to think of it. Like I couldn't evaluate whether it was good or bad because it was just so shocking to me. And, <laughs> it's certainly the one that takes the most crap from, from fans that dislike the album or, or, or fans that like the album, but just don't like the song. I mean, um, I, I guess my take on it was I was shocked too. I think everybody that probably heard this for the first time was like, Oh, this is something I'm going to have to get used to or at, Gonna have to decide where I stand on this one, but I, I think the parallel to Early My Dying Bride that makes it work for me is it's got the same kind of decrepit aura, the same debauched aura. It's just it's it's kind of just like pushed forward into the future, in, into the present. Right. You know, that's all that's it is. Good, that's a really good point, actually. And I, and I think the like the unimpressed narrator that or the unimpressed narrator that that we hear sort of Aaron characterizing, like he. You know, that's, that's also, I think, a character that we've heard before. It's not like that big of a jump. I just think, right. I just think the, the, so, certainly some of the, the music is just different. It's not really a metal song. It's, well, I mean, it's, um, I it's mean, it's obviously too. like, it's, well, it's obviously rooted 
and this kind of like rhizomatic electronic music that doesn't follow a typical like song narrative. You right. know, it, it, like you have one thing and you kind of build it vertically rather than horizontally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, the, yeah, the narrator has, is like this kind of like Burroughs character, you know, you can imagine him wandering among all these, you know, junkies and whores. Uh, yeah. And it's a very, very different face of my dying bride. Yeah. I think with the sparseness and the repetitive drum beat and the female voices that come in and out of it, uh, it's a lot of strange sound effects. And of course there's the issue of the profanity. The thing, the thing about that, just for listeners who have maybe heard this song, and we're certainly going to play a little bit of it in a second, but you know, the, every bit of profanity is is bleeped out, whether it's a fuck or a shite, um, you know, it's it's bleeped, and right. it, to me, it has that great effect that also works in comedy. Uh, I think Arrested Development were really great in doing this. I think maybe sure. maybe Family Guy did it or American Dad, where you know you're talking along, there's a bunch of dialogue, and at some point, a character just 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 rifles out the profanity and not, it's nothing but beep, 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 beep. and then we were laughing like hell because it, that's actually funnier than hearing the actual profanity sure so i think i think heroin chic works in a, in a sort of opposite way but a same way and that in that uh the disgust and profane elements of this song are just like kind of hammered into you even more uh because of all yeah, and you've <laughs> never yeah you've never had to deal with a debased my dying bride before I always imagined Aaron on some sort of like bejeweled throne. You yeah. Know? yeah. I like to imagine Aaron like walking among us in, in, you know, um, in spite. Slobbering um, on himself in an alley somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and self-censoring that, you know, they decided to do that. I don't know if they decided to do this just for, so they didn't want a, a parental guidance sticker on the cover or what, but like. No, I think it was a more deliberate uh, move than that. I do too. To, to me, it seems artistic. And like I'm saying yeah. about the, all the bleeping and stuff, it, 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 it really works for me. I think it's very effective rather than unveiling the entire rant of profanity, you know? Right. Anyway, you don't like the main character. You hate him. So maybe that's part of the sort of off-putting nature of this song too. Um, let's just listen to it. I think we've talked so much about it. I'm sure people that haven't heard it are, are curious. This is this is a good sample of heroin chic.
Yeah, I, I think maybe more what people don't like about that song than any other thing is the na 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 na. I'm sure. I, I think that bothers people. I I think that's part. I think it's a very deliberate move on Aaron's part. Absolutely, it's this sort of apathetic, unimpressed narrator. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's the character I like, and that's the that's the thing I like about the song is it. And I think that one of the problems is that people can't distance Aaron from the character. It's like calling Ian Anderson a child molester in Aqualung or something. <laughs> that's you know? a great point. And I, yeah, I feel like he's just just playing a character as an actor would in a movie. I feel exactly. like I don't want to pin him to this uh personally i just feel like he's he's conveying something and he's getting into character yeah it's an embodiment yeah it's fine in fact listening to the back to the snippet and i've listened to this album a ton and this song a ton i love this song and i think so it's, do placed, I. it's placed right in the middle of the album and it's part of what again the urban trilogy that the, the, where we get a little more modern from them and i just think it works really well so it's it is divisive i get that we were talking a little bit as it was playing about it sounding a little bit like portishead Yes. That, I mean, Portishead was very much in the zeitgeist of alternative music at the time. Just electronic elements blended with, you know, more organic um, traditional instrumentation. That sense of like urban dread melancholy, I think about like tricky. And I mean, you know, that was like, there, the fact of the matter is uh, My Dying Bride was British, is British. And that was very much a, just a part of the milieu of British urban music at the time. And, and to, I keep, I keep hearing all these Scandinavian echoes in, in this album. And mm. I think about beyond dawn. I think about Flurity. Um, this like cosmic. We think about beyond dawn and Flurity quite a bit. Uh, yeah, probably more than we should, <laughs> but, but nonetheless. Right. But it is, it's, it's, um, it's a, a migration from the forest to the city. Yeah, and I, I, it happened in Norway, and it's happening in My Dying Bride right now. It happened in the, the, the entire Peaceville Three, I think, in in some regard. Anathema probably less so than My Dying Bride and Paradise Lost, but nonetheless, there's a, this kind of urbanity to these albums, these later period albums. And just real quick on the Portishead tip, just a uh, just a little bit of factual fun they, they covered Roads by Portishead. That was yes. so they were obviously a clear influence and. Um, you know, I think uh, I think my dying bride were probably pretty eclectic listeners, especially at this point. I think they always were, but yeah, particularly at this point. So, of all the great things that we've talked about so far, and all the wonderful elements of this album, I mean, I'm really happy to get to the next song. Love this next song. Yeah, I I, I would. I'm going to go out on a limb, although I, I've held this opinion for quite a while. This is probably my favorite my dying bride song ever. Oh wow! Yeah, I, and the second one would probably be the title track from Symphonair. This 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 song, I I don't know what to say. The drum pattern totally hypnotic. Uh, Aaron delivers more great imagery in his lyrics. Uh, the cosmic sound effects behind him on the verse. I, I love the guitar work in this. this yeah, song. yeah, and yeah, the super heavy guitars and of course the the eventual they kind of layer those. That that's the thing is that the textured guitar layering in the song I think is just critical. Yeah, then that then that moment that we will it's it's going to be in the snippet. It has, to, it has to be the punctuated sharp riff that pretty much every fan of this album and song knows. Just so invigorating and kind of transportive. Um, and that part of Apocalypse Woman where the da 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 da, you know, the kind of stuttery yeah staccato guitar. It's a it's like a chorus without words almost. Right. Uh, Aaron comes in later 
I hate to belabor the point because I keep going back to Catatonia. I cannot help but think that like that Viva Emptiness era Catatonia wasn't thinking about this song. You just nailed it. That one part. And as much as you and I both absolutely love Viva Emptiness, I think you just nailed it. I've never thought about that before. You're, you're, but you're, you've got to be right on. They, they have had to take in some influence. I mean, of course, a lot of people like to point to Tool at that point in Catatonia right. sound, but good call, totally. Let's listen to that part. This is We'll listen to a verse and then this great part we're talking about and, of course, Aaron coming in and adding his, his magic on top. Apocalypse Woman. Great song title, too. It is. Who is the Apocalypse Woman? <laughs> Ivanka Trump. <laughs> oh, poor her. Anyway. The third part in our uh, urban trilogy. One of the things that strikes me about the song is like, it's also one of the things that's so fundamental to the, the Peaceville Three. Um, and that like kind of carries on in atmospheric metal, particularly the European metal in the, the mid nineties is that wandering guitar. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Like it, it start I, like for me, um, Gothic is kind of where that really begins. I'm sure that there are earlier examples of it, but that's Gregor McIntosh for me is like, like the foundational guy in that, that one element. And it, it's it's so characteristic of like tales from the thousand lakes, septic flesh, rotting Christ, all sorts of things that happened in the the 
the early nineties. Are you talking um, about like these long sustained notes that kind of fly above? Yeah. Well, yeah and, and like there, there's always this sort of like independent guitar melody, even like amongst, you know, a verse or a chorus, there's always like this one kind of wandering guitar melody that, that weaves in and out of things. The beginning part of this oddly reminds me quite a bit of um, Bethlehem. Yeah, are you talking about like the, the understated sort of gothic stuff, a bit sparse? Is that yeah, yeah, the, the clean guitar, like it kind of reminds me of the clean guitar stuff on Dictius Te Nicare. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 but for me, yeah, it's like part of this urban trilogy that we're talking about, mm-hmm. but there's also this genetic element that ties it back into those, those early days and reminds yeah. you that my dying bride is still my dying bride. Yeah, totally. And, and, and it is a complete argument against all the opposition to this record and the, like the, the argument that this is some sort of um, complete divergence from the past and, you know, this sacrilegious move and into like electronic territory or whatever it, it like, it undermines that completely. Well, I think people, once people got over the shock of a heroin chic or some of the other elements of this album that were brand new and maybe a little off putting to people, I, I think this is one of those albums like an angel rat or like a grand declaration of war that now doesn't really have that um, sort of pariah so radical, yeah. reputation that that a that a Saint Anger does or a Cold Lake does. It's not. It's I think it's aging well for a lot of people that may not have liked it in the beginning. Yeah, I agree. Glad about that. You know, the other here's another thing that makes me add this to the other two songs to make it the Urban Trilogy, and that's the that salacious kind of sleaziness. <laughs> um, it's just more streetwise in its lyrical element and in, in the imagery that it portrays than say like, because sure. that element was always in My Dying Bride as well, this kind of salacious thing. This, yeah, but it was more of like a marquee Desaad salacious. Well, yeah, I mean Desaad yeah. soliloquy from... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From the early days or the first Sear Me, you know, and, that, and the bass level erotica points to that. And I love that. That that to me is a sense of continuity. Well, you, you mentioned um, Rambo earlier and like, I think about all the French symbolists and like, you know, there is like this, um, like this kind of, you know, elegance to that poetry too, but it, it is very streetwise. It's very depraved. It's very bandesiac. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're synthesizing all these things to it in really interesting ways. I think. Yeah. I I also like how this out, this song ends. I just goes out really slowly fading, 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 really epic wrap up. Uh, It could have ended the album because as we'll as yeah. we'll kind of note later, the, the the final song ends the album pretty quickly. It's a, yes. off pretty quick. But but the ending of Bass Level Erotica is great. I mean, um, really one of the most cinematic things I think they ever did. Very orchestral, kind of morose drift into the horizon. Very much. Very cool. Um, let's listen to some of Bass Level Erotica. What do you see? What do you see when eyes are closed? What do you feel? What do you feel when she Oh 
man, talk about juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. Talk I about mean, the mad, the majesty of that ending and Aaron's lyrics. Yeah. 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 That's a great song. Uh, I think it's one that goes a little bit under the radar. Got, you know, people tend to talk about heroin chic or the first song or under your wings. The final one. Uh, I think, I think base level erotic is a real highlight on this album. Oh, absolutely. But as with all great albums, I think it's just highlight after highlight and it's how it should be. It doesn't usually work out that way, but, uh, well, and two, especially those, those middle records tend to be a little more uniform. I feel like on this record, you get really, really distinct songs. I like the variety. And uh, yeah, I used to think angel in the dark river was my favorite album, probably for about five, six years after it came out, including this, you know, this one we're talking about tonight, but it's it's really moved to the early stuff, the earlier stuff, and then this one because mm -hmm. Angel of Dark River is just like kind of I don't mean this in a bad kind of way. Monochromatic. It's monochromatic. It's one thing exactly. Yeah, and it's the one really good thing, but it's still one thing. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. So let's move on to the final song. Let us. Yeah, under your wings and into your arms. Really classic My Dying Bride sort of title. But yeah, but a different different My Dying Bride kind of. How so? Just the like the the rhythm of it to me. Yeah, that sh that sort of upbeat shuffle. You, you know what it reminds me? Yeah, they weren't a band that really showed their influences all that obviously, especially especially the metal ones. And they were fond of saying that they, I think, other than one member, they weren't big Black Sabbath fans. But there, right. there, there's a Black Sabbath part in this song. Yes. Um, and I think it's part of this. And that rhythm, is, that rhythm is classic Sabbath. I also hear some Celtic Frost in this. Yes. Like, like Tomegatherion and Into the Pandemonium Eras. Um, that's, a, that's an avowed huge influence on My Dying Bride. I, I always heard Celtic Frost in Anathema, to early Anathema. Oh, oh definitely. All, all yeah. the Peaceville Three love them. Actually, yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah. And especially like the early, the early um, Vinnie Cavanaugh vocals obviously owe a, a debt to Tom G. Warrior. And let's let's just take a little sidebar here for a second. Um, it's totally okay to say Celtic Frost and Celtic Frost. There's actually, I, I looked this up once because I was really worried that I was saying it wrong <laughs> ever since like I got into them as a teenager. But it, Celtic is actually very much okay. I, I, I'm just I'm just saying. It's an inclusive world, man. <laughs> like what <laughs> one love. Like, 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 uh, like Roy from Enslave told me once about uh, our disagreement with Amorphous. It's a free world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so the final song. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it also recalls My Dying Bride of Old, I think. So Under Your Wings and Into Your Arms also is one of the very few songs they ever did live from this album. The other one that they would do quite a bit is The Whore, The Cook, and The Mother. And I think they would cut out that middle part, of course. But they didn't tour for this album very much because it just got a poor reaction. I think the band were going through some stuff at this time. And the album after this, they would take a, a little bit of a hiatus after that one. So they were going through some stuff, losing some people. Um, but anyway, Under Your Wings and Into Your Arms, we've talked about some of the influences in it how much of a kind of straightforward my dying bride song it is but saying that that's relative right oh absolutely yeah. to most other metal right tons of atmosphere right. heaviness ear candy misery all the great exactly. things you know? all those things that make yeah. it so great play it man let the music speak for itself let's do it let's listen to under your wings right. and into your arms
a free world. Yeah, so so that's how the album ends. Uh, the snippet we just heard was um, the very quick ending to the album. It's not one of those annoying sort of like cuts in the middle of a phrase or something uh, that some bands would do. But this this is how they chose to end the album. And uh, here we are at the end of 34.788% complete. The one thing I wanted to say about that as we're listening to it, Hunter, was about what you were saying earlier about Gregor McIntosh and sort of what he laid down, those long sustained notes, those hanging guitar lines. Is that what you kind of what you were talking about there? Because Absolutely. that song really does it. And it, it also reminded me of Tales from the Thousand Lakes by Amorphous. Sure. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the really lineage. Cool. Now, there was a track that the band recorded for this album that just didn't make it and um, ended up on a compilation, the Meisterwork compilations. Uh, one of those, I think the second one. It's also on some other new reissues of this album. It's called Follower. Uh, were you familiar with this one before I the show? Not. Actually, I'd never yeah. heard it. It's, um, it's one of those bonus tracks that might as well be a bonus track because it's not, it wouldn't have fit on the album. I think it would have made it too long. Um, and, it, I, and it doesn't have anything quite as distinguishing as everything else. You know, we were talking a little bit ago about every song having kind of its own little highlight. Yeah. This doesn't really have that. No, yeah. I, think, I think they made the right choice with keeping this off. I do too. It, it's got a cool middle part. And when it comes out of that, uh, that quiet passage, it's a lot more Black Sabbath than they probably ever get. But the main riff to me pivots on this kind of like, kind of gets dangerously close to the aggro groove do riffs. <laughs> I mean, it, you, we'll, we'll listen to it and, and we'll, you know, you'll hear what I'm saying. But I can understand why they left off the album. Uh, yes. Here we go. This is just a little bit of uh, Follower. That to me is very like Sabbathy, like middle middle era seventies. Yeah, like sabotage. Uh, yep, yeah, Sabbath, Sabbath, totally. Or even like Heaven and Hell, like Die Young has. Yeah, that. no, no, I hear that. Yeah, yeah. But that first riff, man. Yeah, no you, need for that. You hear <laughs> no need for that nonsense. <laughs> no. I do like the middle part in that in that last part we just. It's beautiful. So. Yeah. Yeah. So not not totally terrible. Is there anything you'd change about this album if you had like if you were pr the producer? I don't think so. I think the one thing I'm, I've always wanted to hear was Aaron coming back to that heavy vocal, just because I think it would fit here better than it would on the previous two. Yeah, I don't agree with that, but I don't completely disagree with that. I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear, but I, I really like the fact that Aaron does what he does on this record. Yeah, no, I mean, in working through this album the way we have tonight, I, I probably 
don't care so much for that opinion anymore. The one I've held forever. Uh, I was never really dissatisfied about it or this album at all, but uh, it remains to me a massive high point in the band's catalog. And I think for you too. It's a really like brave record too. Yep. I want to mention the vinyl pressing that came out on Zvart Records as a little bit of a PS uh, before we bid you all adieu. It was released in super limited quantity by Peaceville in 98. Of course, that was vinyl's lowest ebb in popularity, really. So that kind of disappeared quickly. And then Finland's Zvart label brought it back. And I probably couldn't be more of a fan of a particular pressing of an album that doesn't sound great than this one. Have you seen this one? I have not. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Zvart. They do great, great work. Yeah, you probably, you might even have more of their stuff than I do, but it's a great label. They've done so much amazing stuff and whether it's new stuff or reissues, but you get the original artwork to some degree. It's faithful enough to it if you're, you know, anal enough like I am about that stuff, but it adds things to it, like the light blues of the back cover. I'm going to post this stuff along with the the posting of this episode so people can see it. But, uh, and the credits for each member, like killer, butcher, madman, psychotic, and fucker. Um, <laughs> again, you know, with the urban thing, <laughs> there's this pink inner sleeve. It has no writing on it or any graphics. It's just a pink inner sleeve, fluorescent as hell. Um, and that houses neon green vinyl. My, my version is green vinyl. Just very urban, kind of pop chic, reflective of the music inside, I think. Right. Problem is it's not the best sounding pressing and that, that really bothers me. It just, my, my copy just doesn't sound good at all. It's just noisy, but there you go. It's, it's hard to make a colored vinyl sound great with 28 minutes at a side. But anyway, I, I just think visually That's a lot of music, the stuff on one side of it, it's, it's almost too much. The only guy that ever did it successfully, I think was Todd Rundgren. But anyway, yeah, this is, this is one of those where I'm like, God, I, this, this package is incredible because it just evokes absolutely everything about the music. So um, c- can I say shame on the band for not continuing in the, no, in, I, I mean, I, like, I no, I, I think they lost their nerve completely after this. Yeah, um, I think that they listened to their fans more than they maybe listened to their own muse. I was deeply disappointed where they went next. Um, that, yeah, that album, I, I remember reviewing it in Maniacs, and I, I kind of half liked it and kind of half didn't. Um, and I've really fallen off with it over the years. It just yeah. hasn't stuck with me because it was sort of you felt like you were if you were a fan of. 34.788 you were you just weren't getting a my dying bride that album that had sort of inspiration it was a but i felt the same way about um paradise lost after believe in nothing oh totally yeah after, totally. i felt like it was just a cowardly retreat yeah yeah with the self-titled and then that stuff that came yeah. after that i mean that's that's not talking about symbol of life but I, to me that album was a bit of a dud anyway so uh, the, the only um my dying bride record that really struck me after that was a line of deathless kings okay um, Okay. And it's it's quite good. Um, and maybe the ones after it are too. I just haven't bothered to keep up with them. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've checked a couple out after that and just couldn't totally get into it. I, I, I just felt that there was too much that I'd already heard them do better. Yeah. yeah. A lot of Deathless Kings actually sounded pretty fresh to me and still, and still does. I, I, I think that's fair it. enough. Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. Like after this album, he brought the heavy vocal back for two albums for uh, Light at the End of the World and Dreadful Hours. And then right. – Line of Deathless Kings might have been next. Yeah, it was 06. And well, anyway, I, I think that's the one that just has like maybe one heavy vocal. Yeah, line. it's mostly clean vocals. Yeah. Talking about it makes me want to check it out some more. But I, I think the Dreadful Hours was pretty good. I don't know. To me, My Dying Bride is really those first five albums. And Yeah, I'm with you. After that, you know, it's backpedaling. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, like whether or not they did anything good, it's still a regression. I don't want to bag on them too much. They're one of my favorite bands, if you, like metal bands anyway, just from those first five albums and, and the early EP and the demo towards the Sinister. All that stuff is great. But I, I kind of, when, when they released the last studio album, it's, the title is called Feel the Misery. <laughs> that's like that's like coca-cola coming out and saying like taste taste the magic it's just taste, it's just like the, such yes. a fucking cliche it's terrible it, ext- extreme aggression feel exactly right feel the misery like they can't come up with anything better than that like lyrical <laughs> Aaron, like, feel the misery real misery for real people you you've know? been hearing it now it's time to feel it <laughs> good lord <laughs> and with that Let's just thank everyone for listening. We really appreciate your time. If we haven't made this clear on previous episodes, Norway is a very special place for both of us. It's experimental metal music pressing all the right buttons for us. I guess since that first Vedwin's End Day album. Well, I mean, really, like this whole thing is an outgrowth of our idea about writing a book about experimental Norway. Yeah, Radical Research oh, is, yeah. is an outgrowth of that, exactly. Hunter and I, I don't know if we mentioned this in the first episode about Oliver, but yeah, we were, we were really first contemplating writing a book about the whole post-black metal Norwegian avant-garde scene, whatever you want to call it. And it just kind of morphed into this thing. But uh, all that to say, we love Norway. We're going to visit it a lot throughout the life of this podcast. And please join us for episode eight. Uh, we're going to take our sweet time discussing the entire output of Norway's Beyond Dawn, whose career span the dawn of the 90s into the slow fizzle somewhere around the mid-2000s. Until then, I'm Jeff Wagner. I'm Hunter Ginn. Thanks for listening. Go Nationals. Go Braves. Go Braves.